Well, uh, well, welcome along uh, to Beyond Church tonight. Uh, if you're new, uh, if this is your first time, or if maybe you came in late, uh, my name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And tonight we're launching a brand new uh, series. The way we do things here at Beyond is uh, for a couple of weeks uh, or, or for an extended period of time, uh, we'll camp out on a topic or a question or an idea and we'll pull it apart over the, the number of weeks uh, that we're, we'll talk about it. And I'm going to be really honest, um, as I was preparing uh, or, or putting the finishing touches on and thinking about it this afternoon, I was like, do I, do I really want to do this series? It's going to offend some church people. In fact, if you're a church person, chances are you will be, you will be quite offended um, by some of the things that I'm going to say uh, in this message. Uh, if you're not a church person, uh, this might be the first time that you've ever come to church and like, done like an amen, like just yelled out during the message. Yet, some of you don't even know what an amen is. You're going to be yelling it like, by the end of it. Um, because this message is really, uh, the series that we're doing is called If Only You Knew. Uh, it's a two-part series. and what, I'll get to it in a little bit, but, but really the whole idea is to cut through all the garbage that we pop up in terms of religion and church and to break through and talk about what, what are two things that would change your world if only you knew about them. What were two things that would change the way you look at Jesus if only you knew about them? I'm going to be really honest. I'll start off with a confession. I'm going to be really honest. Um, I tend not to, or I try not to, uh, the majority of the time, tell people what I do for a living. Uh, Not because I don't like my job. I love my job. Not because I don't think the message of Jesus is life-changing, because I believe it is. I just know that the second you tell someone you're a pastor or you work in the church... Everyone has these ideas and these conceptions about who Jesus is, you know, what the church stands for, what they don't stand for. A lot of the time, a lot of people will be like, I'll tell you what the church doesn't stand for, you know, not for sex outside of marriage, they're not for gay people, they're not for, you know, they're not for all these things and they'll list out this whole thing. So I'm really hesitant to tell someone that's what I do because I don't want them lumping me in with that group of people. And maybe you've never had the, the same experience that I have, but maybe uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you've been pigeonholed in this, in this way of someone goes, oh are you Christian? And you're sort of like, ah, oh, how do I respond to that one? Yes, but, like, yes, but, like, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like the people that you, I know, you know, you're my friend, like, I know what experiences you've had, I, I know how the church has mistreated you, I know how they've leveraged power and looked down on you, I, I know what you see in the media, yes, I follow Jesus, but I'm not like that. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe it's just, uh, maybe you're a, a part of a social movement or you, you belong to, a, you, you know, you play a certain sport or you're in a certain style of musical band or, or you know, uh, you, you follow a certain political viewpoint or an ethical viewpoint and people, you know, ask you, are you a part of that group? And you want to say, well, yeah, I am, but, I, you know, yes, I am, but, but I'm not like them. Like, like, if you would get to know me, if you would get to understand it, if I could talk to you on a, a person-to-person basis without all the baggage that you're bringing in from your past experience and, and all the, the things that the media is saying, because I know what the media is saying, you know, I'm part of this group, I understand how we get pigeonholed. If you, would, if you could see that, then maybe you would understand my point of view. And we do that in life, you know, regardless of, of whether it's with religion or whether it's with sport or whether it's with uh, our political views or whether it's with, you know, some of our health and fitness views. We, we all do that. And it's kind of human nature, for us to, to pigeonhole people. It really is. It, it's human nature because we see things and we interpret things from our perspective. We can't help but do that. You know, you th- see things and interpret things from your perspective. I see things and I interpret things from my perspective. But, but one thing that you and I know, and maybe we don't state it a- enough, is just because we think about something or just because we have an opinion about something doesn't mean we know about something. Just because we think... Uh, 
that, that, oh, you know, all, all CrossFitters are this way or all vegans and vegetarians are these kind of people. doesn't mean we actually know them. In fact, you might have, um, you might have experienced this in your own life where, where you met someone, you pigeonholed them, you categorized them into a group straight away and then the more and more and more you got to know them, you realized, actually, hang on a second, you don't fit into this group. Like, I know you belong to it, I know you believe those things, I know you're a part of that group, but you don't actually, you know, you're not who I originally pigeonholed you for. Or maybe for some of you, you've had the inverse, you know, you've thought that, oh, this is going to be the best relationship ever, this is the one, I'm going to marry them, it's going to be great, and then like two weeks later, you're like, oh, if, only there was, if only I knew that. If only there were some things like, they, like I didn't realize that they're so clingy. Like I thought they weren't, I thought they were my, I didn't know that they were going to be so clingy. Maybe for you, you're an employer, you know, they were, the person interviewed really well at the job description, everything went fantastic. You were thinking, yes, I think this person's going to be fan. I think this person's going to be great. Then they get in the, in the shop or in the office or wherever, two, three, four weeks, and you're like, hang on a minute. What I thought about you isn't actually what I know about you and what you're like. You know, maybe you beef some things up on your resume. Maybe you kind of, maybe you kind of bent the truth a little bit uh, on, on, on your application. So just because we think doesn't mean we know. And you know this and I know this, but when we interact in our, in our daily lives, what we like to say is, I think, therefore I know. And you can think, but, but you're probably wrong most of the time. If, if I'm a part of something and it's my group, okay, if I have an opinion about something, it's probably the right opinion. And if you've got an opinion about something that I'm a part of, it's probably the wrong opinion. I don't want to be mean, but, but you don't know it like, like I know it. And what, what we do when we, when we, and this is just human nature, I'm, I'm not sharing anything new with any of you, but what we really do when we say that, you know, well, well my opinions are usually right and, and your opinions are right most of the time, except for when it comes to me. What we're really saying to people is when, when, when people try to pigeonhole us and when we say, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of them, but I'm not really. What we're saying to them deep down is, if you only knew it's not what you think. Yes, I'm a part of it, but if you only knew that what I'm a part of is not what you think. If you only knew that, you know, the way I go about fit exercising or the way that I approach business or the way I approach relationships or, or the group, the social group that I'm a part of, if only you knew it's not what you think. And that's kind of our vision here at Beyond Church. Maybe you walked in and maybe for the first time you heard this idea like, church for unchurched people. I thought church was for church people. You know, what is this idea of a church for people who don't go to church. What we're really saying with that, with that idea here at Beyond is, yeah, you know, we're a church for unchurched people. What we're really saying is, it's not what you think. You know, if only you knew these things about Jesus, then maybe you would think about Jesus the way we think about Jesus. Now, the purpose of this series, um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to try and convince you to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to try and convince you to change anything about your life. All I want to do is show you that if you take away all the, all, you know, all the religiosity, all the church stuff, what are the, what are the core things that maybe you miss because of that? What are the things that you miss uh, you know, through looking at the media, through certain interactions with people? What are some of the things that get puffed up on the outside that you never actually had the opportunity to get to the real heart of the matter? And if you're maybe a follower of Jesus here, what I want to do is try and return us back to some of the core things. The things that are most important, the things that we should be talking about, uh, if someone says, oh, are you a Christian? Yeah. And if only you knew these things. So where I want to uh, start tonight <clears throat> is by talking about this idea, because some followers of Jesus will probably be like, you know, what, what's the point? Do, I, do we really need to talk about this? You know, 
here's the thing that, that I've experienced, and maybe you've experienced uh, throughout your life as well. People generally, people generally don't have an issue with Jesus. They have an issue with his followers. Now, Jesus never gave himself a bad name, his followers do. In fact, most of the time, in my experience, when I talk to people about Jesus and his teachings, most of the people are like, oh yeah, no, I get that. You know, I, I'm okay with that whole love thing. I'm okay with that whole acceptance thing. I'm okay with that whole grace thing. Just his followers are weird, man. They're creepy. Like, they're super spiritual. They're really judgmental. They're like super harsh. Like, I don't know if I want to like be a part of that. Like, I'm all for this Jesus guy, but I don't really know if I'm ready to sign up for all the things that they sign up for. Like, it seems like if you go to church, you know, you have to sign up for the Bible study. Like, I don't even own a Bible. Like, it seems like if you go to church, then you have to pay them money. Like, it seems like, you know, if you go to church, you have to serve on all these different things. You have to do stuff. It seems like when I see it, if you go to church, you have to go and knock on people's doors. And, man, I'm not good at knocking on people's doors. You know, I'm like a, I don't like talking to people. Maybe, you know, maybe you have all these ideas about what the church is. And, to be honest, this cultural perception about religion and different religions, this is not anything new. In fact, this was, this was not new uh, when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago. When Jesus stepped onto the pages of history, he stepped onto the pages of history as a Jewish man in a Jewish culture. And in fact, he grew up uh, and he was a rabbi uh, in the Jewish faith. Now, in this culture at this certain time, there were a whole heap of other religions, uh, pagan religions, uh, Greek, myth, myth, uh, Greek mythological religions going on around that time, all these different e- uh, religions around the ancient Near East that Jesus stepped into and he became a Jewish man, uh, a Jewish rabbi at that point in time and with it, there came certain cultural norms. But one of the cultural norms was, was there was this kind of, um, there was these, the group of people that Jesus came from, the Jews, uh, they, were, they were considered God's chosen people and then there was the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were a group of people that were kind of like the wannabe knockoff offshoot. They got hacked off with the way the Jews were doing things. They didn't really like it. And so what they did was they kind of started uh, their own, um, they, or they kind of had the, their kind of a denomination or their own group on the side. They sort of said, you know what? We like the way you guys are doing things, Jews, but there's a couple of things you're not doing quite right. We think we've got the answers and we're going to go over here and do it. Now, the problem was they were still kind of within that Jewish framework. And the Jewish framework was really different from all the other religions uh, and cultures from around that area. So the Samaritans had to be the breakaway, but they had to stay within inside these Jewish Roman cities uh, to be protected. And so really what happens is when you become the minority in a big city and you decide to hang around, you become the outcast. You get pushed to the side, you get kicked to the side, you get pushed out. And what happened was a lot of these Samaritans would, would form away and they'd break away and they'd have villages just around the outskirts of of some of these big Jewish settlements. And so they would have towns of Samaritan people. And so the, where we're going to pick up tonight uh, is a book, by a, a historical document written by a guy called John. Uh, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, if you've ever heard of the 12 disciples. Uh, more like the Dirty Dozen. They were like tax collectors, fishermen, uh, the kinds of people that uh, if, you were, if you were going to start a religion, you wouldn't get them on your side because they, really, they weren't really that bright. They didn't really know much uh, about anything. Uh, and Jesus kind of uh, brought them together and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, this is where we're going to uh, move towards. Uh, and, and the guy who writes this book is called John. Uh, so within the group of 12, there was kind of three guys who were Jesus' like best mates, uh, who if Jesus had a rough day, he'd go to and be like, guys, I'm really stressed out. Or I don't know how I'm handling with this. And John was one of these guys. And so John uh, recounts this event. And, and we're going to pick up on it uh, tonight in John 4. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, feel free to follow along. If not, it'll, uh, it'll come up on the screen. Uh, but, but John recounts this story that is told amidst this uh, cultural 
divide between Jews and Gentiles. Each of them have their opinions about the other. Each of them think they know uh, about the other. Uh, and, and each of them, because of the way they've grown up and the things they've heard, the things they've seen written, the demonstrations, the acts they've seen done, they have a very strong viewpoint against what the other stands for and what they should be about. So uh, it starts off like this. Eventually he, that's Jesus, uh, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. So Jesus is traveling. Um, he used to kind of walk around from town to town and, uh, and teach. And he was with his disciples, and his disciples went off into Sychar to get food. It was kind of, uh, as we'll find in a second, it was around midday, it was hot. Uh, and Jesus, he's been the rabbi, so uh, when, you, when you have your kind of disciples, your disciples go and get you food and you hang out as the rabbi. So Jesus was hanging out um, on the outskirts of uh, this Samaritan village. Uh, and it's really important that John makes this distinction to set it up. You know, this isn't just Sychar. This is Sychar, the Samaritan village. You need to know that uh, the people in this village are Samaritans. Jesus is a Jew. So John deliberately does that to get us thinking about this cultural understanding that the Jews and Samaritans had with each other. It goes on. Uh, It says, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, you might think, oh, okay, so Jesus is sitting there and a Samaritan woman comes up. What's interesting is that this is the heat of the day. So this is noontime, this is the middle of the day. This is the kind, uh, the time of the day that even the farmers, even the manual labourers took a break because it was hot. You know, no, one was go- no one was around at this part of the day because it was too hot to be outside. So what this tells us is that this Samaritan woman didn't want to be seen by any of her fellow Samaritans. She's an outcast already by the fact that she's a, a Samaritan, but now she's an outcast of the outcast. The women would go and draw water in the morning or in the afternoon, but this one, for some reason, doesn't feel like she can be with, go with them. You know, she's been pushed aside, she's been ostracized. We'll find out in part two uh, a little bit about her past. But at this point in time, we don't know what she's done. We don't know why she's out there all alone. We don't know why she's braving the heat, but she's kind of out there. So if you can imagine, she's kind of cruising up. No one's around at this time of day. Everyone's having a bit of a siesta. She's not expecting uh, to see anyone. Um, and, so, and then it, so it goes on. As soon as Samaritan came, a woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her. Now, I, I mean, it doesn't say this, but I imagine that kind of Jesus is sitting off to the side like he's, he's kind of buggered and uh, this Samaritan woman comes walking in. And you know when you're, like, you're on a mission, you're not expecting anyone to be there. And uh, my, my idea is Jesus kind of like gives her a bit of a fright because he's sitting in the corner and he goes, can I, um, can I have a drink? She's like, Ooh. But not only is she surprised that there's this man standing there, but... But she would know because of the way he was dressed and because of the way uh, he looked that he was a Jew. She would have known that within that culture, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. In fact, Jewish men didn't talk to Jewish women when they were in public. And now there's this Jewish man, this Jewish rabbi, speaking to a Samaritan woman, and not just any old Samaritan woman, but the outcast of the outcast. And it says the woman was surprised. She, was, she knew it. She she knew that this exchange shouldn't have been happening. For Jews refused to have anything with Samaritans. And then it goes on. She said to Jesus, after Jesus asked her for a drink, she then says to him, she goes, uh, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Given our culture, given our differences, don't you know what's going on here? Like, you're not even supposed to look at me. You know, you're not even supposed to look at me, let alone talk to me. And now, you, now you're asking for something from me. Like, don't you know the rules? Don't you know that, that this isn't the way it's supposed to be? Okay, what happened to your disciples? Where's your crew? 
why, why are you asking me? And then she goes on. Jesus replied, and this is where he says these four words that we base our series around. Jesus says to her, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, then you would ask me and I would give you living water. In other words, what Jesus is saying to her here is, if only you knew who I was, you wouldn't be so worried about the cultural norms. If only you knew what I was about, you wouldn't really be worried about the fact that I'm a, I'm a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. If only you knew what I had and what I could give you, then the last thing on your mind would be, why are you talking to me? And then it goes on. Uh, she goes, uh, the, and the, the woman's kind of a little bit confused. She's not really sure. Uh, and she says, but sir, you don't have a rope, you, have a, you don't have a bucket, she said. Uh, the well's very deep. Uh, in other words, like, I'm not going to get the water for you. Like, you're talking about this living water, like, you sound a little bit cuckoo, like, there's waters down here, but you're going to have to get it yourself. Uh, and she, then she asked him a question. She said, where would I get this living water for? Or sorry, where would you get this living water? In other words, she's kind of like, I don't really know what you're on about, but I'm kind of curious. I don't really know what you're on about, but the fact that you shouldn't be speaking to me and now you are speaking to me makes me kind of wonder what it is you're talking about when you talk about this living water. And just suppose that I was to maybe consider thinking about getting some of this, where would I get it from? And so Jesus um, goes on to answer. He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty. He's talking about the water in the well um, that, that she's drawing from. But those who drink the water that I'm talking about, this living water that I'm talking about, will never become thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's getting right in close. He's looking her dead in the eyes. And he's saying, if only you knew that although I'm a rabbi, although I have disciples, I don't want anything from you. In fact, I've got something for you. And I've got something for you that you're never going to expect. Because given this culture, given the way it's set up, I should not be offering this to you, and you know it. But I'm not worried about culture. I'm worried about life, and I'm worried about love, and I'm worried about giving my grace and pouring my grace out on people. And so that's why Jesus is concerned. He goes, I don't want to take anything from you. I don't want to require you to get to a standard where you're good enough. I just want to give this eternal life to you. And maybe some of you are sitting here tonight, maybe you don't really go to church that much, but maybe you, this is new for you. You've never heard that. You've never thought like, oh, Jesus actually wants to give me something. Jesus wants to give me this eternal life. And maybe you're kind of like, yeah, okay, I, I get it, but the church has always been an institution that demands something from me. There's got to be a catch. You know, what, what, what's the catch? Because the church has always acted this way. Now, any Christians I've ever had, you know, experience with have always demanded something from me. And Jesus, tonight, in this, in this passage, if only you knew, if only you knew Jesus wasn't like that. If only you knew Jesus didn't demand something from you. If only you knew Jesus didn't demand for you to sign up and serve all the time. If only you knew that Jesus wanted to give you something. And the something he wanted to give you was eternal life. Because oftentimes, I don't, I don't know whether it's true for you, but for me anyway, and I mean, I'm a church person, um, but when I go to other churches and when I hang out, oftentimes I ask, you know, what's the catch? 
It sounds great. Like, I get it. It sounds too good to be true. What do I have to do? I've seen everyone else. I've seen the way those Christians behave. They act kind of differently. They act kind of weird. What is it that, that I have to do? Do I have to clean my life up right now? Because I'm not sure I'm really ready to do that. Do I have to get to a certain level of expectation? Because uh, I don't know if I can ever get there. And a lot of us put these, these expectations on ourselves that Jesus actually never put on us. You know, the church puts them on us or, or people we know put them on us or, or we think that that's because of the way Christians behave, that's the way we've got to behave if we want to become a Christian. But to step into that relationship with Jesus requires absolutely nothing of you. Because what costs Jesus his life costs you nothing. As Jesus was, was hanging there on the cross, you know, with, with nails uh, through his wrists and through his feet, the whole purpose of him hanging there and dying was so that you and I didn't have to do anything to earn eternal life. It was so that the cultural norms of that day could be shattered, so the cultural norms that would be existed in our culture could be shattered and Jesus could say, you know what, it doesn't have to cost you anything because it's already cost me everything. And in fact, this kind of offer, this kind of invitation intrigued the Samaritan woman so much. It intrigued her to the point that she, she went on uh, as in the last part that we're going to look at today and she goes, all right, if you can offer me this eternal life, then give me some of it. She says, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. In other words, what she's saying is she goes, the act that you've demonstrated right now, the cultural norms, the barriers you've broken to demonstrate your love for me, I want some of it. How do I get this eternal life? And maybe some of you right here tonight, you're kind of going, ah, it's not for me. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I want to take that step. I understand. I get it. I t- in fact, I would, I would go as far as to say, if I was in your shoes, if I'd experienced what you'd experienced with church people, if I'd read the articles that you read, that I would probably still push back against it as well. But if you're not willing to, to accept that invitation that Jesus offers, that's okay. But the way I see it is you should at least know what you're missing out on. You should at least have an idea of, of, what, of, of what you're turning down. Now, we have this thing at Beyond, it's called Four Monday. Because uh, we believe whether you're a Christian or whether you're not or whether you're somewhere in between, um, that if you come to church on Sunday, it should be helpful for you for the rest of your week. So the question uh, this week that, that we're going to ask you, the full Monday, is where are you drawing your life from? Where are you drawing your life from? For some of us, that might, a- answer might look differently. Some of us might be, oh, I, I draw my life from my job. My self-worth is wrapped up in my job. My self-worth is wrapped up in my relationships. My self-worth is wrapped up in all my achievements. You know, I'm a really big businessman. I'm, a really big, I'm really big in the sporting industry. I'm really big in the music industry. My life is wrapped up in my achievements. That's where I get my life from. Maybe for some of you, it's wrapped up in your finances. You know, I'm financially set. I've got a whole heap of businesses. I don't need to work again. I won the lottery. I got an inheritance. You know, I made some good investments. I don't ever need to work again. Where are you drawing your life from? That's the first question. And the second one, which is going to be a little, more, bit, a, little, a little bit more difficult for you to answer is, will it sustain you? Now, I don't mean will it sustain you like right now or will it sustain you for five years or 10 years or 15 years. I mean when everything's said and done, 
when you're stepping across, you know, that precipice from life into the ever after, is what you find, uh, draw your life from right now going to be able to sustain you into that eternity? Is where you draw your life from going to be able to sustain you into eternity? Or are you going to look back and go, man, I wish I was drawing my life from somewhere else. Man, at the time it was good, at the time I understood it, at the time I bought into it. But now that I look back, like, it's not going to sustain me into eternity. And just for the followers of Jesus, as we close this message up, this, is, this last couple of minutes is just for you. Because chances are, chances are, if you're a follower of Jesus and I said, where are you drawing your life from? Your answer would have been, yeah, of course, Jesus, duh. I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to church. I know all the churchy traditions. I know when to sit up, when to sit down. I read my Bible every day. I mean, I'm in a connect group. I serve. I know everything. Of course, I'm drawing my life from Jesus. And, and maybe you are. I don't want to, I'm not going to push your buttons, but, but maybe this is just a question for us as a community to think about. If all of us are, would answer that, if all the followers of Jesus would answer, yeah, I'm drawing my life from Jesus. Why is it that church people are often a barrier to faith as opposed to a doorway to it? If all of us would say who are followers of Jesus, yep, uh, getting my life from Jesus, yep, uh, Jesus is going to sustain my life. Why is it that church people are so often a barrier to faith as opposed to a doorway to it? I'm not trying to knock churches. I think I love the local church. I love all the local churches around this area. I'm not talking about churches in general. I'm talking about church people. I'm talking about people who attend those churches. There's a lot of the pastors around this area are fantastic. All of them are fantastic. All the churches that they do, they, they run, they're awesome. It's church people, not churches I'm worried about. Why is it that church people are often a barrier to faith as opposed to a doorway to it? And for those of us here tonight who are, who are followers of Jesus, and we would stick our hand up and you go, yeah, you know what, maybe, maybe I am a church person. And yeah, that statement bugs me. It bugs me that oftentimes church people are a barrier to faith as opposed to a doorway to it. Tonight, my challenge for you specifically is, could you imagine what would happen if we became the next generation or if we decided that it ends with us? With this generation right here, no matter how old you are, with with this group of people, with this culture, it ends here. From now on, we're going to live our lives in such a way that when people look in, they're going to say, that's that's the if-only. The, the way these guys live their life, the things that they talk about, the way they interact with people, the way they love, the way they care for people, that's what this Jesus guy was on about. And that's what it looks like when it's lived out. Could you imagine the shift in our culture that would happen if we began to live and lead with the if-onlys? Could you imagine what would happen if, just in your world, you began to, to live and lead with the if-only-you-knew to everyone who wasn't a follower of Jesus, Jesus doesn't want something from you but he's got something for you. We have the opportunity to be the the change makers and the culture changers that we want to be. There is no use us just saying, well, this is the way it's going to be forever. This is the way the church has been. There's nothing. We can begin to change it. You can begin to change it in the people in your life that you interact with. I can begin to change it in the people in my life that I interact with. And soon enough, people are going to begin to start to take notice. Because the voices that are leading with the if-onlys are going to drown out the voices of the church people who are barriers. And the voices of the people who say, you know what? Now, these are all the obstacles you've got to jump to get to Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't like that. And we shouldn't be like that.
we need to be leading with the if only. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you maybe think, yeah, you know, we have to be asking that question too. Where are we drawing our life from? And oftentimes it's because oh, I want to control the situation, I want to control the outcome, I want to control the way that everything works. We are really drawing our lives from Jesus because Jesus said, I don't want to give anything to you, I don't want to control you. That's right, I don't want to take anything from you, I don't want to control you, but I want to give it to you and I want to give it to you freely. If only you knew that Jesus doesn't want to take something from you. He wants to give something to you. So we're going to pray right now. The band's going to jump back up on stage. Uh, and tonight, maybe if, um, maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you know, we're, going to, we're going to be praying with our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Uh, if, if maybe you want to accept that invitation, we'll give you an opportunity to. Um, you don't have to do anything weird. Um, we'll give you uh, an opportunity to, uh, to accept that uh, invitation here while we pray. Let's just pray. Oh Lord, we just, um, we pray that we would be a community that leads with the if-onlys. Father, we don't want to be a place that people look in and, and look at us and, and they know us for what we're against. Father, we want to be a community that's known what we're f- for what we're for. We are for breaking down barriers. We are for unconditionally loving people. We are for sharing the good news of Jesus. And we are for doing that with no strings attached. Lord, tonight, uh, for those of us uh, who have maybe grown up in church our whole life or for those of us who would consider ourselves followers of Jesus, I pray that you would give us the strength to begin to ask some of those tough questions. Are we really drawing our lives from you or are we more worried about the control that we want to have, the way that things used to be done, the way that things should be done, the way that we've always done things around here? Lord, are we getting too caught up in maybe the differences between denominations and theology and philosophy and all these words that people outside the church don't even know what they mean half the time? Lord, are we going to be people that focus on the core things, on the gospel, on the grace that Jesus poured out on the cross? And Father, for anyone here tonight who's maybe not a follower of Jesus, but this invitation has started to maybe tweak something in their mind. Lord, we want to give them the opportunity to, um, to step into that invitation tonight. So if you're here tonight and, uh, and maybe for you, you're thinking, this is a step I want to, I want to take, uh, I want to step out and, uh, and maybe follow Jesus. We just ask you, as everyone's heads bowed, just, just stick your hand up really quickly in the air and we're going to pray for you tonight. Thanks. And, uh, and if you didn't want to stick your hand up, that's okay. You don't have to stick your hand up. You can just, uh, we'll just pray for you as well. You can make this a personal decision. Father, we want to pray for these people who, um, who are curious and who are stepping into the eternal life that you've offered. The eternal life that um, for all of us who follow you, we've, we've stepped into. Father, we want to pray that you would bless them and walk with them and guide them. Father, that... Um, because of this, Lord, they, they would know that they don't have to ever be good enough. They don't have to, to make, uh, get to a mark or get to a point, Lord. But that you've done it all through your sacrifice on the cross. And we, Lord, we pray that we will be a community as we close tonight that leads with the if only. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.